Hello and a very warm welcome to Curated Spaces, the podcast that is on a mission to rekindle real-world connection. Join me, Molly Cooper, as I go behind the scenes at Britain's best boutique spaces and hear all about the journey of bringing them to life. Curated Spaces is all about getting out there and exploring this brilliant country of ours, so go on, start planning that next staycay and get the good times rolling. Now, let's get into it, shall we? Today's episode, we're spicing things up and talking all about what goes on behind the scenes to bring a festival to life. Whether you're a foodie, music lover or all-night party animal, Britain's boutique festival scene is booming with unique experiences, incredible settings and world-class entertainment. And I'm delighted to welcome Ella Nosworthy, Creative Director of Nostock, who's going to share the journey behind the Hidden Valley. Ella, welcome to the podcast. I can't wait to talk all things festivals with you. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I'm excited for this. Yes, me too. You're actually our first festival, I believe. So I can't wait to hear all about the goes on behind the scenes, having been to my first festival in Yonks last summer. So I can't wait to get into it. But let's start with you and hear a bit about your background and how you've ended up working at Nostock. So Nostock was actually founded by my dad uh, 26 years ago. So it takes place on our family farm. So I had no choice but to be involved, really, <laughs> to be honest. Um, the first one, I was 13 years old, and um, Dad had me wristbanding. And each year, my role's kind of grown a little bit from then. So I was doing the wristbanding, and then I was helping him book bands, going to local band nights. And then as we grew, I was booking more of the bands. Uh, and then I started to be involved in recruitment and PR until now I'm creative director and I'm kind of running it alongside Dad and my brother. So it's very much a family business that has always been in my life. I've been doing it for longer in my life than I haven't. How brilliant. Well, they started early, didn't they? They did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, then let's talk a bit about where you are in the world. And could you maybe set a bit of a picture, paint a bit of a scene for people who maybe haven't ventured down that way before? Where's good to go? What's it like? Give me, yeah. the, give me the full one. So we are based on a little farm in Bromyard in Herefordshire. Um, in a very rural area. So we call Nostock the Hidden Valley for a reason. So the site is set very much in a valley. And I know I'm biased, but it is a beautiful site. We've got the lake there. The stages are actually built around the farmhouse. So it's kind of a very intimate setting. It's got a very rural kind of homemade, handmade feel to it, definitely. Um, And it kind of fits in with our kind of rural setting as well. You know, dad is a farmer. So that's that's kind of part of what we talk about as well. We're very kind of honest about like the land that we're using and the space that it is. So yeah, Hereford's kind of a, well, people always think it's Hertfordshire. I always have to, always have to correct them. And they're like, oh, Hertfordshire. No, Herefordshire, honestly, it's a place. I can so imagine. But yeah, it's a, it's a really beautiful little rural setting. Um, our closest, well, kind of equal distance between Hereford and Worcestershire. So if you're a foodie, you've probably heard of the Beefy Boys, which is, you know, really, um, oh, so good. Really lovely little local food place in Hereford. And what's Hereford known for? I guess it's known for cider. Bulmer cider is probably what Hereford's known for. But yeah, you know, we're kind of Herefordshire's local festival now, which is nice. I love it when you go to the little areas and you find the local tipple and then you're like, oh, no way, I didn't even realise that's from here and like all these amazing local producers. So I'll have to come and visit sometime. Yeah, 
Well, then let's get into it because I'd love to hear how, I guess, your dad went from being a pharmacist to deciding to do a festival and what that looks like. And I guess your childhood memories of bringing this to life in its earliest days. Yeah, I mean, it was very much by accident. I'd like to say that we had a big diversification plan, but we didn't. Uh, Dad was a dairy farmer and quite happy in that life, um, but was very much, you know, we were very much a festival family. We went to Glastonbury every year as children. That was our family holiday. Mum and Dad would take us. So that was very much kind of, it, that didn't seem an unusual thing to do, you know, to, to hold a festival. It didn't seem like a surprising it's a surprising thing to do. And as I've got older, I've realized actually, yes, for a lot of people, that is quite a surprising thing to do. But it, it did develop very much as, as an accident. So for the first one, there was a local artist called Will Colleen who played around Bromyard. And dad just really enjoyed him and decided to have a party so that Will could play on the farm. And he just put a bale trailer out and that was the stage. And, you know, there were about 50 friends sat around a campfire just enjoying some music and it was lovely. And he decided to do it again the next year and you know a few more people and he had his bands play um so it was really in the first few years more of an excuse for him to play than anything else and that kept growing really organically though and there was at no point was there a plan to say let's turn this into a festival it was very much like oh let's put a bar on why don't we have another stage that would be fun with some different music and then oh why don't we do an official merchandise store for a joke um and then it was, you know, very much, oh, you're into films, you, you're, you know, you're a film buff, why don't you run a cinema tent? And it really did grow like that. Things were added just because they sounded like a laugh. There was absolutely no business plan. It was just something we enjoyed doing. And that was the case for quite a few years until we had about a thousand people on the farm. Um, that was maybe 2005, something like that. And we kind of looked around and realized there's a lot of people here. <laughs> and I remember going into the farmhouse kitchen and there was a queue of people I didn't know making egg sandwiches. And it kind of got to the point where it's like, hmm, maybe, maybe we need to actually think about the safety of this and get serious. So like, do we actually carry on doing this or do we need to get a first aid tent in, for example? And do we need to think about it? Because at that point, we were just sending a bucket round and asking people to put a fiver in if they'd had a nice time. Because it was costing us money, but it, it that wasn't what it was about. But, it, you know, it had reached the point where it was like, actually, we need to start selling tickets if we're going to carry on doing this, really. And if that's the case, we need first aid. And if that's the case, we need to think about this. And and so it was a case of do we carry on or do we stop? And quite obviously, we didn't want to stop because we've been doing it. 2024 will be our 26th year. So we got serious and we started selling tickets and we started doing PR. And then it kind of, then it grew a lot faster, a lot quicker. Then then we started to have more of a plan and think about the kind of festival that we wanted to be. Uh, But it's always been very, it's always been super diverse. And because it's run by the family, I think you can see all of our different personalities reflected in the lineup and how different we all are. So, you know, my brother's very into his hip hop. So there's a hip hop stage. I'm probably more into rock and indie. So there's a stage for that. Dad's very much into his drum and bass. And that's been his pet project from the beginning. So you can see that reflected in the lineup, which perhaps makes it look quite unusual on the poster to people. But actually, when you get here, I think you can see that it's super diverse. And that does mean there's something for everyone. And that was always really important to us. I guess like how we felt when we went to Glastonbury, we could all go and all find something to love. It would be a different thing, but we would all love it in different ways for different reasons. And that was really important to us for Nostock as well. So it is super diverse and it is super friendly. 
And it's small, but it's also that's exactly what we want. We wouldn't want it to be too big. We want you to be able to wander around and see the same people. And people keep saying to us, it feels like they've been invited to a private party for the weekend. So even though it's 7,000 people now, it hasn't lost that kind of intimate roots that it had right at the beginning. And that's great. That's exactly what we want. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Well, it sounds like the joke got a bit out of hand. Now you're hosting. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> We were holding a festival before we realized that's what we were doing. You know, we kind of fell into it by accident and, uh, you, you know, kind of look around, and realize, oh, yeah, we've got, I think we had three stages at that point. Well, there's 11 now. Um, but yeah, kind of realized what we'd accidentally done. Um, but now, you know, things have switched. So now the festival takes up most of the farm and the farming is, has become the hobby, whereas at the beginning it was the farming that was, the you know, everyone's job and the festival was just for fun. And that's completely switched now. So, it, you know, although we didn't set out to do this and although we came into it knowing absolutely nothing, so we've learned a lot along the way, after 26 years, I feel like we're really good at our jobs. We've definitely put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into it. Yeah. And now it, it has become our whole life. It's taken, you know, it's taken over everything. Our, even our family dinner time is very much like, have you booked that band yet? Have you contacted this person? I can so imagine. And what a brilliant like starting story. I love that it just came from a place of sheer joy and entertainment and bringing people together. There was no monetization, no business plan. It was just literally getting people together to enjoy a bit of music and a bit of a fun time. I mean, what a lovely premise to build something on. Um, and as you were speaking, it really made me think because I when I was at Wilderness last summer, I was like, it's actually quite phenomenal, really. Everyone's here having like a blissful, carefree time. But the infrastructure you need to import to have all of these thousands of people rocking up for a weekend and living in a field. And it just feels so seamless. And just, you know, but actually you think about it, you're like the electricity, the loos, all the zones. I mean, so much work must go on behind the scenes. And I love how you kind of, oh God, it's now the time to get the, the first aid tent. Oh, and then what about food for all these? And I can so see how it can like slowly like morph into this huge thing, which a festival is. Um, and I'd love to know, because I'm just so curious when it comes to planning a festival, like how do you start? Are there things you need to lock in early or do you start with the concept, with the idea, with the vision for the year? I mean, how does that work? Um, I think uh, we do have a theme for each year. So that helps us to kind of keep things fresh. So we do pick a theme quite early on and that will gauge the kind of decor that we have. Um, so, so yes, that happens. But actually, it all kind of as it grew so organically there was never really a plan of this is what we're going to do so what so basically what happens is we book we book the artists kind of well we do the festival in july and then august is basically spent wrapping up cleaning up then we have september off and then in october we're straight back into booking ready for the next year so it, we are working on it all year and we're full time on it so it although you kind of think it sounds like a hobby. Actually, putting on a festival is one of the most stressful things you could ever do. Because like yeah. you said, there are so many moving elements that affect each other. So you can't get one thing locked in without thinking about another thing. And I do find that every single year is a different challenge. And every year is something where you think, well, we've never had to think about this before. How has this never come up before? But it always happens every year without fail. Um, you know, because you are building a city. And you're building a city in a couple of weeks. 
So it's a mad temporary city. And then you've got to remember that every inhabitant of this city is probably drunk or at least stressed and haven't got all of their usual stuff with them. And, you know, so it's a lot to think about and it is crazy. And, I, you know, people that work in events are gluttons for punishment because it's mad. It's it's like organized chaos. And when you're doing it, it's kind of awful. It's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, the stress and that what's going to happen next. And you're just living on your nerves. And then when it's finally done, you're like, ah, well, that was great, wasn't it? Now, next year, we'll do it like this instead. So you are always thinking, even when that year's edition is happening, you're thinking, actually, that could have been better. We'll do it this way next year. Or you're, you know, speaking to a band and saying, that was great. You're going to come back next year. So you don't. You don't ever really stop organising it and you don't ever really take a step away from that. But there is very much a cycle each year of right now we're in the booking period. Um, February is press release period, you know, from April, your contracts are going out and then, you know, you're starting the build. So there is there is cycles each year that follow the same kind of pattern. But like I said, every single year, there's something different to think about that just has never come up before. Like, for example, um, on our license a couple of years ago, they were asking about water testing. And it was just like, okay, that's fine. But what about the previous 20 years? But sure, okay, we'll do that. You know, obviously, COVID brought loads of different challenges as well because we had to work out how we were going to get everybody in and also, you know, about testing and cleaning everything and fogging indoor areas. So that was a that was a new challenge for every business ever, wasn't it? But even just things like at the moment, more and more people are buying living vehicle passes to the point now where I think this year will be probably the first year where we've got more living vehicles than we've got tents. So it's kind of rejigging where things are on site to make sure you can accommodate all of these vehicles. And that's been happening for a few years, just more and more of them. But this year is just seems to have exploded. So, you know, looking at, right, we're going to have to borrow a field from a neighbour to be able to fit more of these living vehicles in, or do we take them off sale and say enough's enough? So just silly little things like that. Every single year, there's a new headache. Van life Instagrams must have had a surge or something. Yeah, I think, you know, I think glamping is, people have seen how, how nice camping can be and loads of people have their own vans and stuff now. And I think I don't blame them. You know, I would I would much rather sleep in a van than a tent these days, which is is not something a festival organiser should say, maybe. But I don't think I'll sleep in a tent ever again. I really feel like that part of my life is over now. (laughs) I think that is so fair. And I have to say it was particularly rainy um, at Wilderness last year. I think there was that storm and when you can can see the glimmer of the camper van in the night and the distance, I just thought, oh. That does look good. Oh, a mattress, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But last year was crazy wet for most festivals, wasn't it? It was insane. It was so wet. And of course, when you've got a wet year as well, I mean, it's a bit soul destroying for the promoter because not only is it people remember, oh, it was wet, and I'm not saying that means they have a bad time. They don't. Sometimes they get even more into it. It's kind of you know like us against the weather, but. It, you do remember being cold and wet and it's not the same as kind of sitting with your cider. And as the promoter, your profits, well, our profits anyway, just absolutely dive because you've then got to get in loads of wood chip to spread to make sure the site, you know, because we're a greenfield site. And, you know, people aren't spending at the bars. They're sat in their tents trying to keep warm and drinking in their tents. So it's, you know, a, a wet festival season is 
is hard for a promoter to deal with. Yeah, last year's summer yeah. was just such a washout, wasn't it? And then that October yeah. heat wave, what the hell was that? Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? I feel like the last couple of years, we've either been dealing with extreme, extreme kind of wet to the point where it's like, oh my God, is this going to be safe? To extreme heat where you've got the same worries. Like we, we were giving out free sun cream a couple of years ago, extreme winds. And you're kind of watching the festivals that are happening before you that season being like, what are they dealing with? Oh my God, look at this, look at this. And it, yeah, the, <laughs> the UK summer weather at the moment is just insane. Mm-hmm. And how much plan being do you do? Like, is there a point where you're like, if it gets this wet or this rainy, like this happens? Or is it kind of like, oh, let's see how it goes? No, you do. You have to have plan A, B, C, D and E in place for everything. Um as part of your risk assessments and on your license, they would expect you to have a backup plan for everything. I mean, obviously situations do arise where you're like, hold on, what? Like you couldn't plan for this. This is insane, you know. And as a festival organiser, you are constantly thinking on your feet, constantly going, right, okay, well, we'll do this instead. We'll do that instead. Um, You know, you can't plan for absolutely everything, but you do need to make sure you've got, you know, different options in place. Yeah. Well, I know. And it was like you say earlier, most people are pretty drunk come the afternoon and you're just like, God, if you had to quickly do something with all these people, like that's a big crowd control. And a lot of them are completely like past the point, no return, you know. Um, So how do you how do you go about managing that? Like how annoying is it having 7000 drunk people on your farm? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say annoying. I wouldn't say annoying. I mean, we don't get any sleep. My bedroom for the farmhouse is actually right next to our second stage. So so sleep is pretty much out the window, although I have invested in some very good earplugs. Um, but no, it's not annoying. Ultimately, we wouldn't be anything without the punters. And the artists wouldn't be anything without the punters. If there was no one there to create that festival, we could put all of our love and sweat and tears into it, but it means nothing if nobody's coming. So the fact that, you know, we've got so many regulars that really love the event and want to keep coming back means an awful lot. And if those people hadn't spent their hard-earned cash on choosing our festival to come to, you know, there's, we would just be, you know, a couple of people who like music stood in a field. <laughs> As much as as much as it can be hard and occasionally, you know, you are like, oh, my God, this guy or this is whoever. I can't believe this is happening. You know, you do get some crazy complaints. I had a lady once who complained she didn't expect the grass to be so spiky. You're like, really? But generally, you know, people don't have much money at the moment. And if they've chosen your festival to come to, probably for their only festival at the moment, you know, with the way the cost of living crisis is, if it's you they've chosen to come to, then that means a lot. And also, it's hard work, but one of the reasons you do it is seeing everyone having such a wonderful time and the feedback that you get afterwards and kind of being able to look back at the crowd and everyone dancing and being like, wow, I we created this moment. You know, so I, I don't really get annoyed. I don't really get annoyed having people on the farm, although it can feel really weird. The kind of the two weeks run up when it starts getting busy. And you kind of can't walk the normal ways that you walk places because you've got security fencing and walking out of the door and, and the farm being so busy does feel really weird for the family. But then anybody who comes to the festival, if they happen to come to the farm when it's a farm, they can't they can't orientate themselves and they find it really weird. So I guess it works both ways. That's so true. And they're like, oh, this is what it looks like normally. That must be so surreal. And they can never believe how small the site is once you're there and stages aren't all up and you haven't got all the different pathways they're like oh 
oh my god that's there and that's there this is this is crazy yeah (laughs) but I know when you're walking do you like I must be walking miles and you're just going round and round in circles from the loo to the burger van and to the stage (laughs) yeah yeah well you do walk miles don't you um our production manager did 17 miles last year wow 17 miles I mean that's basically a marathon isn't it that he did and that was over just the three days of the actual opening so that wasn't like wow yeah it's crazy good for your step count though very nice I always lose like a nonstop inch just from being like back and forth back and forth back and forth and just also just like being so full of adrenaline and so like this and now this and now this and now I've got to do this and now I've got to do this that you are just you know it's all like I said before it's organized chaos you can be running around like a bit of a headless chicken but as long as it looks like it's all really smooth and good from a punter's point of view then it's fine isn't it it's all good and you kind of spoke about one then how those moments when you just sort of stop and take it in and you're like we created this we brought all these people together in this time in this space and we're just having a moment are there any like standout ones of those or any any parts on the journey where you just sort of be like wow this is incredibly special yeah definitely I think um Dad is a huge drum and bass fan, so the first time he got Andy C really felt like it felt like we'd made it. It felt like we were a proper festival now because we'd got someone of that standard who we'd wanted for so long. Um, so you know, with the excitement when he was coming was was absolutely just amazing. And I remember he actually he was late because he'd run out of petrol and he didn't realise that Bromyard would not have any shops open after like 10 o'clock at night. There was no way to get petrol after 10 o'clock at night. So he ended up knocking on someone's door and I think he borrowed some petrol off a local teenager and brought him to the festival with him. And it was a really wonderful story, but there was like a half an hour period where we're like, he should be here by now. Where, where is he? Where is he? Oh my God. And he came and it was amazing. And he came back so many years and he became like a really good friend of the festival. So that was I think for all of us, really special. And the other one that really stands out as well is when Jurassic Five headlined because they were one of my brother's favorite bands. And that was kind of an international, you know, they'd come over from America and that felt, that felt amazing. And just seeing people really love it. It was a kind of perfect nonstop band. So that was, that was really wonderful. But the, the most, like the most special moments are usually to do with crew for me it's like when the crew we're all stood together watching it and going oh yeah actually we, you know we did well that was nice or when I see what they've achieved as well because our decorators specifically are so amazing and the things that they create out of zero budget like barrels and wood and they just create these pieces that are absolutely mind-blowing and, and watching people interact with that or stopping and going wow you're like they're kind of usually in the more special moments for me they're a wonderful group of people and, and without them, you know, we just wouldn't get through it, essentially. Oh, I think that was lovely and like such testament to the power of it to bring people together, to enjoy, but also to create something and how yeah. wonderful to be involved in that process. It yeah. is, it is. I, I really feel like if you have the opportunity to be involved in putting a festival on or any kind of event, then do it because it's nothing else is like it. I don't think, but that sense of togetherness and that camaraderie, whether it's with the punters or with the crew, it's it's special. And I think that's probably true of, of any festival that you work at, that you there's this like feeling of togetherness and coming together to put something special on and to just to do something, you know? Yeah, to create that moment in time. And then looking ahead, 
What does the next chapter look like for Nostock? So actually, um, Nostock is changing a little bit now. So after 26 years, I mean, our plan was just to keep carrying on and on and on. And I really think, I think dad thought he was going to retire and I would just run it. And eventually my daughters would run it and, you know, it would keep going on and on and on. But actually, with the way that the festival industry is at the moment, we've made the decision to move to one day events instead, which is sad. But essentially, you know, with COVID, as with most businesses, we used up all of our reserves you know, kind of keeping going for two years. There's not many businesses that could go for two years without any income. And, you know, the festival industry were one of the last people who could come back. So we kind of made it through COVID. And then into 2022, when there were huge, like kind of rises in costs with the supply chain, and that was really hard. So everyone kind of needed a really good year and that just didn't happen. And then kind of made it through 2022 and then into 2023, and there's a cost of living crisis. So what we were finding for 2022 specifically is that we were selling tickets to people who'd, who often had rolled over from 2019. So it was 2019 ticket prices at 2022 costs. So even festivals that had sold out were still going into it, knowing they were going to make a loss. And then, yeah, and then in 2023, there's a huge cost of living crisis. Energy prices have gone up so much. Everything's gone up so much that actually the financial risk involved now is so much greater than it was that actually you have to stop and think, okay, wow, is this the right thing to keep doing now? As much as we love it and we want to carry on doing it, actually, we do have to think seriously and realistically and wonder, is this the best thing to be doing at the moment? And, and sadly, we came to the decision that actually, no, it isn't because the, the cost of living crisis hasn't changed. I think it will be a few years before, you know, things come back round again. Um so, yeah, we've made the decision to move to day events because it's less risk. It's not all of your kind of all of your business on one weekend that could easily be a wet weekend. If you kind of spread it over a few different days, you've got more chance and you can kind of scale things back down. And, and also as well with Nostock, we're using up the whole farm now. You know, kind of people have set expectations of what the kind of stuff that we're going to book and how it looks. And actually... It would be nice to try some different things. It would nice to be nice to be able to do some stuff that we just haven't had the budget or the space to do and try some different genres. So we just feel like moving to day events actually makes sense. And I'm quite excited, actually, about what that could mean and, and the chance for different things that we're going to be able to do on the site now that isn't necessarily even just straight music events, but other things as well. And that's not to say that that won't develop in these one day events won't develop into a new festival because we are kind of gluttons for punishment in that way. And we do love what we do. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happens or, you know, maybe Nostop will develop into something a bit different and come back in a few years time. Who knows? It's a, it's a bit of a reset. Um, and it is sad, but it but it does feel like the right decision. And I think as a crew, we're quite excited about what could come next now. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a nice outlook or perspective to have like things change and instead of just quitting and calling it a day actually adapting it trying something new and who knows maybe day festivals will be brilliant maybe you'll escape the rain yeah, yeah. I think so because because the thing is as well you know if you carry on with the three-day event or four-day technically there are things you can do to kind of you know make more money and make it more realistic but we're, we've always been completely sponsorship free and we don't really want, you know, 
Carling's Orchard Stage or whatever. I don't think that really goes, it, it kind of it kind of ruins some of the magic of what we have. And we don't want to cut stages and we don't want to, you know, it gets to a point, you make these changes, at what point is it still Nostock? You know, actually, that isn't necessarily a festival that we'd want to run and it doesn't look like what we've done for the last few years. So much better to kind of end it on a high and be proud of the product that we're putting out there and then come back with something new and different that um, that we're still in control of, you know? A hundred percent. I think this is so special because it came from a place of such joy and a family story and you've grown it all these years that to sell out now would be such a shame. So I wish you all the best in this next chapter. I think it's going to be incredibly exciting. I can't wait to see what it looks like. Um, I do, of course, have three questions as a closing tradition. You imagine you cash that winning lottery check, so money's of no object. And apart from pouring it all back into Nostock, I'm going to ask you for three spaces and you let me know what comes to mind. So number one is, where are you running away to to disconnect and to detox? Do you know what? For me, it would be a forest and it doesn't matter where that forest is. It doesn't matter. It could be 10 minutes down the road. Um, just kind of sitting in nature but especially amongst trees is like my that's kind of where I like to be and where I feel quite calm so yeah it really wouldn't matter where those trees were as long as I could just go and sit in a nice quiet green forest I love it I've downloaded a lot of tree books to my kindle I'm getting through a bit of a whopper of a read and then I'm going to dive into all things trees because I didn't realize until recently how amazing they are and they talk to each other and all that stuff so I'm going yeah. on that journey. Yeah. <laughs> Number two, slightly different. I feel like you might have some experience with this, hosting a festival every year, but your ultimate birthday party, where are you hosting it? Oh my God. Where am I hosting it? My ultimate birthday party. I mean, yeah, it probably would be at a concert or something, to be honest. You know, it's not even necessarily that I love music, although I do. I guess it's just those cultural experiences because I really think they're what sounds really cheesy, but I think they're what life is all about, whether that's enjoying music with people or enjoying food together or just it's those moments. And I really think actually when you go to festivals, especially the, the things that you remember aren't usually the headline band, although you might come back and say, oh, they were amazing. It's the crazy little bits and pieces that happen in between, like something that someone said to you or a fancy dress costume that you saw so yeah my ideal birthday party would would have some kind of entertainment whether that was music or burlesque or something but just surrounded by my friends amazing I love that and what a lovely depiction of a festival and all these little moments that make it into such an incredible experience but that's that really is what it is because I think actually there are some festivals out there that are just music in a field but to me, that's music in a field. It's not a festival. And a festival is about all these other bits and pieces as well. That's what makes them special. Nice. Well, that sounds fun. Invite me when you have that, please. And finally, your once in a lifetime bucket list trip. Where are you heading? And are you staying anywhere special? <gasps> oh, God. Okay. And I can only pick one. No, this is your bucket list trip. It can be whatever you want it to be. I can, I mean, there's so many places I haven't been that I want to go. You know, I would love to go and do a safari. I would love to go and visit Japan. Um, I'd love to travel through America because I haven't done that. Oh, there's so much. There's so much. Does it have to be in this time? <laughs> can I travel back in time? Oh, my God. No one's asked that before. And because you're the first person to ask it, yes, you can travel in time. Does that change your answer? Yeah, it does. I would definitely go and find myself a castle. I would definitely... <sighs> flounce around in a massive dress 
and just yeah, and like really enjoy the fact that there's not really any cities around and, and yeah, flounce around a castle. God, that sounds fun. <laughs> that's such a that's such a nerdy answer, but I really think that's the truth. I think that's what I'd do. I love it. You're the first time traveling uh lottery winner I've had on <laughs> on this. So congrats, that's a first. I'll take it. <laughs> I hope you get your, your safari slash trip to Japan yeah. slash American road trip in the meantime until we discover time travel. But thank you so much for chatting with me today and it's been such a pleasure and I'm really excited to see what Nostock continues as. Thank you. Wow, feels like my eyes have just been opened to a whole new world of festival planning. I'm just in awe of you, Ella, and what you do every year to put on this incredible event for people to come and enjoy. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with me. And of course, a huge thank you to you, all you lovely listeners who tune in week after week. It really means the world. And thank you for all those lovely ratings and reviews you've left. Keep them coming. It really makes my day and keeps the podcast ticking over. Now, we also have some really exciting news in the pipeline with a brand new platform coming very soon. So stay tuned for much more on that, as well as plenty more curated spaces. 